today we're here to have an experience with God's Word. Amen? As you're shuffling in here, please make yourself in quickly, quickly, quickly. You're late, but we still love you regardless. We'll all stare at you, watching you come into this auditorium. Um, this morning, the message is entitled, The Fear of No Fear. The Fear of No Fear. How many of you are afraid perpetually? Raise your hand so that everyone can stare at you. Today, in, in North America, we have a generation of young people who are talented, who are capable, who are competent, who are spiritual, who are just everything, but they have one thing that prevents their potential to be unleashed. It is fear. In North America, they say the number one fear is what? Can anyone guess? I had no idea what you said, but I'll thank you for those answers. It is public speaking. How many of you are afraid of public speaking? It's, it's just funny. Like, I'll be hanging out here in, the, in, in, the, in, in 3BN corner here, and everyone is just so nervous. person doing prayer, the person doing uh, special music, the person... Uh, you know, introducing, they're, they're, they're just clammy and, and, and they only have two minutes up here, but they're just freaking out. And it's a faith-building experience, amen? They're, they're here to introduce someone, they're just, uh, Lord, please be with me, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid, oh, it's time, and then they go, ah, good morning, everyone. And it's just, it's funny. It's funny. It's, I, I, I sit here, and I love watching this screen over here when, when, you, when, it's, when it's on you. You know what I'm talking about, three of you an audience. Well, you're listening to the message, and then all of a sudden, this camera is all up in your face. And then you finally realize that the camera is right there, and you look, and you, and you freak. And then the facial expressions that you have, it is just hilarious. But it's fear, isn't it? Everyone in the whole world is watching me now. And all your insecurities pop up. Yes? Yes or no? Fear starts at a young age. Let me read this to you. Statistics show 81% of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. 72% of 7-year-olds today are on a diet of some sort. Research also indicates that young girls would rather be dead than fat. In the United States, the number of children with eating disorders and related issues continues to increase. This comes from Ramuda, Ramuda Ranch. So they have a program for anorexia and bulimia, and they're the leading treatment facility for women and girls suffering from anorexia. And it stems from fear. When I was in the first grade, I had a fear of going to lunch. Fear of going into a cafeteria, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you go into the cafeteria, you, you get your lunch, and when you're done paying, you come out, and you turn around, and there's a whole sea of your classmates, and you have to make the rational decision, where am I going to sit? Yes? And if I sit here, the, the most Worst case scenario is everyone stares at you and says, Ew, you have the cooties, go sit over there. 
and you're going to sit all the way in the corner and you're eating by yourself. But that wasn't my fear. I am a Korean-American. That means I was born an American, but my, my background is Korean. South Korean, by the way, not North Korean. Now, my mother, bless her heart, didn't really know how the lunch system worked. Now, the normal American non-Avenist lunch is to pack pastrami, uh, salami, um, pepperoni, you know, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and you bring your sandwich and you open your, your lunch box, you, you take out your stuff and you do lunch box economics. I have an apple, I'll trade you for the granola bar. Hey, I have a granola bar and apple, I'll trade you for the chocolate milk, and you do. And after the economics is done, then you enjoy your lunch, right? Well, here I was, and I'm like, Mom, I'm going to, this is my first day in the lunch, uh, you got to pack me something awesome. My mom had no idea what a sandwich was. She's from a Korean background. They usually have rice or whatever, and she's figuring, well, my, my son would not appreciate rice and Korean food because at an American school. So she went, bless her heart, and she would, she would be really afraid and freak out if I said this all over 3 a.m., but that's okay. She went to the supermarket, opened the frozen food section, got a TV dinner, and we were not Seventh-day Adventists at that time, and she got a shrimp scampi. It was frozen. And she put it in a nice lunchbox. Like it was, you know, as American as can be, a, a lunchbox, put it in there. And she said in Korean, you know, hey, study hard, I love you, and, and go out there, and here's your lunch. And here I was, all beaming, got on the school bus for the first time in my life, which is a scary experience. Went to school, great experience, whatever. And then you sit down for lunch. And everyone takes out their paper bag or lunch boxes, and they have the, the, you know, the tuna salad and the noodle salad and whatever salad, and they, they eat. And here I open my box, and I take out a thawing box of shrimp scampi. And all the heads in the cafeteria turned to me. And what happens when you're afraid your cheeks turn a different color, right? I have some Irish friends. Their, their, their cheeks just go like, you know, <laughs> super purple. <laughs> I'm Asian. They don't go purple. They go red. And I was like, oh, man, everyone is staring at me. Little did I know all the, my classmates, they were in awe because they wished their mothers had given them shrimp scampi for lunch. And they looked back at their meager sandwiches and they're like, oh, We'd rather have that. But in my mind, because I was paralyzed with fear, I got self-conscious. It's like, oh, everyone's staring at me because I got the weird shrimp. And by the way, shrimp is not edible for humanity. Amen? Going to uh, Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11, shrimp is a filter feeder. Amen? So this is not justification for you to go get some shrimp scampi and put it in your mouth. Anyway. In fifth grade, I was afraid of clothes. In my day, what was in fashion was a sweatshirt called Champion Sweatshirts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you are the, the fashion elite. We will pray for you, okay? Now, Champion Sweatshirts have a little C on the side here. And every person in my class had one. So I went home and like, Mom, I can't wear these clothes anymore. I need to wear, because if I wear these clothes, I'm not cool. I'm afraid to go to school. I need to get a champion sweatshirt. 
So my mother, bless her heart, we went to the, went to the mall. We went to get a, a champion, but it was too expensive because they just came out and it was like, you know, there was the fat at the time. So we went to an Asian champion copy shirt place. <laughs> and instead of just very nicely having a little C on the side, it wrote champion out in big capital letters all over the front to indicate the person who's wearing the shirt is a champion. <laughs> and so I knew this was not real, but my mother had put energy and investment of time to get this shirt, so I was forced to wear it. And I was a champion for the whole day at school. <laughs> I was afraid of clothes. In eighth grade, I was afraid of prom. Again, I was not a Seventh-day Adventist, practicing Seventh-day Adventist at that time. I was afraid, oh, girls, oh. we won't go too much into that story. In 11th grade, I was afraid of the SATs. In college, I was afraid of job and getting married. All these fears at every stage of my life. Do you identify here? As 20-somethings and early 30-somethings, there is a stage in our life called the quarter-life stage. Maybe the majority of you, I think, well, yeah, okay, the majority of you are in your quarter, are quarter-lifers. You have a particular fear that old people do not recognize. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Who am I going to marry? What if I marry the wrong person and I'm stuck with this person for the rest of my life? Where am I going to live? How am I going to pay the mortgage payments? Should I even buy a house in this economy? Where should I live in terms of the weather, taxes, da -da? And you're thinking about all these things. Amen? The quarter-lifers are like, yes, he understands me. Once you go past the stage, you're married and have kids, you know, you're just so stressed out, you have no time to be afraid of these things. But when before these things, you're worried about, you're afraid. People today are afraid about many things, about all things at all times. Looks, how big their eyes are, how small their eyes are, nose, teeth, hair, weight, height, ugliness, beauty, intelligence, economic status, a lack of a degree. My question to you this morning is, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid to be alone for the rest of your life? What if God called you to be alone for the rest of your life? Now, by the way, just to dispel a rumor, GYC promotes dating and marriage. It's okay to, like, do all these things. Some of you feel guilty to look at the other gender at this conference. But that is not the primary motivation to come to GYC. Amen? That's just to clear up a misunderstanding that we might have. Are you afraid of being dependent on something for the rest of your life? Are you afraid to get in a car accident and lose your legs and to be dependent on people pushing you in a wheelchair? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of conflict, friends? Are you afraid to push someone on their beliefs? Throughout this culture of fear, there is an abuse of Christianity. Perhaps you have abused Christian. Perhaps you have used Jesus in a particular sense. You have asked the Lord, Lord, what is your will concerning me? 
How many have asked that question for yourself? Perhaps you come to GYC to go to a seminar, what is God's will for my life? Perhaps you have used interesting methods to find out God's will. Lord, where should I go and, for college? Lord, show me a sign. And you're driving around and you see a billboard that says, come to New Jersey. Lord, thank you for your sign. I'm going to New Jersey. Or perhaps you interpret these, these, these weird different signs in your life. Lord, if the moon shows up tonight and it's red, I'll marry her. But if the moon shows up and it's blue, then I'll marry her. It's, it's yellow. Oh, Lord, what does that mean? Oh, no, marry her? No. In order to understand your purpose, your individual purpose, your will, the Lord has already revealed the largest picture possible. Do not be so self-centered and so egocentric and so American Christian like me, 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 Rick Warren-esque, the purpose-driven life kind of Christian, that God is some kind of big Buddha that you rub his belly and he just has, he's a little bit hairier and skinnier and he wears a white robe and a, and a beauty pants. That's not the God that we serve, amen? We're not to pray every morning and have devotions every morning to find out what is God's will for me, 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 me. No. God has already revealed his will in the largest picture possible. How does your life fit into that? That is the first decision that you need to make. How does your occupation, how does your where your house will be, how does your spouse, how does that fit into the largest meta-narrative possible? Then the Lord will direct you in the micro. But if you don't even have the macro, God is often silent. Have you had that experience when God is silent? The largest picture is the great controversy. Amen, friends? Not the book, but the theme. Seventh-day Adventists have a meta-narrative that is the largest meta the largest picture possible, the most objective. You, you stand back and you see, can see the largest picture. Seventh-day Adventists have that. The only competing meta-narrative in this world is evolution. All other meta-narratives do not work. And obviously we know evolution is what? Incorrect. What is the great controversy meta-narrative? This morning, we're going to look at four prophecies that partake in the, in the great controversy meta-narrative for us. I know you know the, the war in heaven, all these things, and perhaps you as Seventh-day Adventists know these four uh, prophecies that we are still waiting for. But the objective in knowing these prophecies is so that we do not have any more fear. Amen? God says... Fear not, 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 fear not. And he says it another 200 and X times more. Actually, I searched on it this morning, and I had 390. There's a rumor that goes around that the Bible says that fear not is mentioned 365 times. I couldn't find that number anywhere. It's, it's just there all the time. God is not recommending us, um, hey, Jimmy, uh, I rec- it, it may be good for you if you just not be afraid. He's not saying that. He's saying, fear not. And I'm going to give you the largest picture possible so that will help you in your fear process. So as I open scripture, I ask you to bow your heads one more time. Lord in heaven, Father, as you look down upon us, we ask 
for a full portion of your grace, a double portion of your Holy Spirit, and then pervading uh, amounts of your mercy, Lord. Lord. As we open Scripture, Lord, as you have been with us in the past, bless us intimately right now through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Yesterday we covered the 12 disciples where they were wrongly trained. Someone came up to me and asked a question, how could, when you're trained under the best teacher possible, how could you be wrongly trained? If your heart isn't into it, if you're not, quote, converted, you could have the best teacher possible and you still won't get it. God does not force his training upon us. We see the example of Judas. But after they get it, go to uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Chapter 4, last time I checked, was the fourth chapter of Acts. Verse 13 is, okay, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been what with who? With Jesus. Go to verse 29. And now, Lord... Behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all, what? Boldness, that they speak thy word in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place had shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. As I see all of you here this morning... We see one of the most intelligent, most good-looking, most affluent, most biblically um, knowledgeable, uh, most experienced young people that I've seen ever. I haven't seen a lot of young people, so it's, I don't know if that's a compliment. But I've seen, you guys have a lot of potential. Amen? <laughs> but we're paralyzed with fear. The 12 disciples didn't get it because they didn't get the largest picture. In Acts chapter 1, once they realized Jesus died three days in the grave, resurrected, and he went up to heaven. And right now, friends, Jesus is in heaven now. Amen? If you don't understand that, you need to understand that. And he's coming back soon. He's, he's not now upstairs in heaven on a barca lounger sipping a virgin martini. He's actually doing something in heaven. And we need to understand that. That is the largest picture possible. Once they realized that Jesus went up to heaven, he sat on the throne of the universe, and he called his Holy Spirit to go down where he once used to be, they realized, hey, no holds bar. We got full power. And they went all out. In one phrase, they said, we don't care anymore. Let's just go all out. Who cares if we're ignorant and, and unlearned if we seem like that? Who cares? Who cares? Let's just go all out. As young people, there's, there's this thing. I love it when people say, who cares? And if, if this wasn't a pulpit, you know, you, you can use expletives to uh, exp, uh, show your I don't care-ness-ness. Young people show their I don't care-ness-ness in different ways. You ever see a young person who has pink hair? It is one of the most unnatural things I've ever seen in my life. 
pink, fluorescent pink. Oh, by the way, David Ashrick had pink hair once, yeah? Don't get pink hair. But pink hair is indicative of a heart that says, I just don't care. I want to go against the grain. You ever see someone with a mohawk? I love mohawks, not for myself, but, you know, just to see that, I just don't care. You ever see people with earrings? Not like the nice little stud, but like just they're, they're missing an ear, and there's just like a piece of metal sticking out instead. Like 500 earrings just sticking out, and it's all coming down to their knees, and they're just, they just don't care about their ears. They don't care about what they look like. I feel bad for them when they have to go through the airport. They have to take it all out, and Swiss cheese, and put it back in. Young people have this thing, hey, I just don't care why they believe in something. I love the hippie movement. They didn't shower for two, two weeks, two months. They just didn't care. They understood the larger picture. Friends, when we learn, understand the larger picture, we won't care about these small, minor things. What are those things? Open to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, verse 11 through 13. Open quickly, quickly, quickly. And I know this, I know you know this mentally, but I'm trying to get into the existential ramifications in our lives. Revelation 13, verse 11 through 13. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he spake, uh, he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and caused it the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This beast in Revelation 13 is none other than the United States of America. Amen, friends? We need to understand the larger picture largest picture possible. The first prophecy that we still have to see to become fulfilled is to see the American domination of the world. Now, right now, America is the predominant nation, but he has not dominated the world and it is in progress as we speak. Amen, friends? Regardless of who the president is in the White House. Great Controversy, page 43, 439 to 443. The beast with lamb-like horns was seen coming up out of the earth. Instead of overthrowing other powers to establish itself, the nation thus represented must arise in territory previously unoccupied and grow up gradually and peacefully. What nation in the New World in, 19, in 1798 rising into power, giving promise of strength and greatness, and attracting the attention of the world? The application of the symbol amidst of no question, one nation and only one meets the specifications of this prophecy. It points unmistakably to the United States of America. In 1979, there were only two superpowers, United States and the USSR. You guys remember the USSR? There's a generation today that does not know what those four letters mean. That is just shocking. USSR, what is that? Is that an aircraft carrier? Uh, USSR, the former Soviet Union. People, what's the Soviet Union? Former Russia. <laughs> and and uh, whatever states there. In 1979, there were two superpowers. Spectrum Magazine, one of our denominations own that, uh, that is an interesting magazine, predicted that the two superpowers would exist forever. It is impossible for the United uh, USSR to ever fall. 1989, communism fell. Amen? 
1991, Time Magazine, page 13, July 29, 1991. Time Magazine contradicted Spectrum Magazine and said, America is, world's, is the world's sole remaining superpower. Time Magazine is more Adventist than Spectrum Magazine sometimes. The U.S. military, Newsweek, March 24, 2003, page 20, 23. The United States spends as much on defense as the rest of the world put together. America is the dominating force in the, in the world today. In the world, there are 191 countries. America can beat them all. That is not a source of pride. That is a source of prophet, prophetic interest. When Ellen White made this prophecy, the United States had the 13th largest navy in the world. It was impossible for anyone to fathom that the United States would become the sole remaining superpower. The 13th largest navy. I don't know what the 13th largest navy now is. You know, Mozambique? <laughs> if there were a prophet today that would say, you know, Mozambique will become the only remaining superpower for today. There's nothing wrong with Mo Mozambicans and Mozamb the Lord loves them. Amen. But if anyone heard this prophecy, anyone would be, that is ridiculous, Ellen White. That is ridiculous, great controversy. That is ridiculous, Seventh-day Adventists. But here we are today. And it's so common, they were like, oh, yeah, well, well, what's the big deal? It doesn't even shock us to think America is the sole remaining superpower. U.S. Judiciary. As all of you know, after 9-11, um, the American government has had a zero-tolerance attitude. We appreciate, quote, appreciate torture. It is a truth-extracting method. Waterboarding. We had a Patriot Act happen. In 1999, I said to my friend, look, I know what we believe as church, but America will never change. We have the United States Constitution, man. It's impossible. It's impossible. 2001, I'm staring at the TV screen and my mouth is open. In the subsequent years, we can see before our eyes this beast that is changing before us. I know this is nothing of new information for all, hopefully. But how does your life, how does your micro life fit into the macro picture? In religion in America, the, the First Amendment is being eroded. And as we see in the last couple of months, the U.S. economy has been bought out by the government. Everything is being solidified, unified, systematized, and won. We need to watch out for this, friends. But this is a, not, a, not a cause for fear, amen? There are Seventh-day Adventists that are so afraid of the American government. They're, they're afraid that credit cards have little chips in them and then cell phones and this and like my belt has a, has a tracking device and GPS systems and cameras everywhere that they need to wear a tinfoil hat to make sure the government doesn't penetrate into the brainwaves of the individual. Now, it is proper to be of concern but not to be paralyzed with fear. Prophecy number two. Revelation 13, 1 through 8. 1 through 8. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of, the name of blasphemy. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, his feet as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his seat, his, and great authority. 
one of the heads, and I saw one of the heads as it, would, as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed that all the world wandered after beast. And can continue to verse 8. According to Great Controversy, page 443, and you don't need the spirit of prophecy to identify these things, friends, but it's a great elucidator of Scripture. What is this image of the beast, and how is it to be formed? The image is made by the two-horned beast. It is an image to the beast. It is also called an image of the beast. Then to learn what the image is like and how it is to be formed, we must study the characteristics of the beast itself, dash, dash, the papacy. The second prophecy that we are to look for is the worldwide domination of the Roman Catholic Church. Protestants for decades have, until recently, have understood this beast to be the Roman Catholic Church. And if you don't understand this, friends, you need to understand this this week before you go home. Go to the booth. Go to booth 505. They have tracks. Go to any booth. uh, Not any booth. A lot of the booths in there should have information on this. And ask any person next to you what this means. This is a traditional and standard biblical Protestant belief that all other mainline Protestant denominations have forsaken. The mortal wound was in 1798 after the French Revolution. And this wound did not mean the end of the papacy, friends. That is a misunderstanding that some of our friends within the denomination have a problem with. What this means, the end of the domination of the papacy. Amen? In 1929, Mussolini recognized the Vatican City as a sovereign state. 1965, the Second Vatican Council came out and established ecumenicalism as the predominant mode of the church. 1989, there's a holy alliance between Pope John Paul II and Ronald Reagan to topple communism. In 1999, there was a joint declaration on the doctrine of justification, and it officially declared a reformation was over between the Lutherans. Since then, there have been scores of documents, one which each denomination of the Protestants in 1999, when the, when the Pope came to the United States, the crowd sang, he's got the whole world in his hands. And they weren't talking about God. In 2005, three U.S. presidents knelt at the Pope's funeral. What you think may be just a simple, uh, innocent, physical gesture, they're actually submitting themselves to the supremacy of the Pope. Right now, the Sunday law is in the works. How does your micro life fit into this? Now, this being said, friends, Roman Catholics are the most loving people out there. God has his people in there. That's why he says, come out of her, my people. I went to a Catholic, Roman Catholic high school. There are nuns there who love the Lord Jesus with all their hearts. I sincerely believe that, and I was drawn to Jesus because of their love. But the system is absolutely, fundamentally incorrect, biblically speaking. We have to have no fear to say things like that. And no fear to love them just all the more. In the past, Catholics used to be hated in America. They were hated. They were dis- Protestants used to spit at the ground that they walked on. You papist. But now they're just as, oh, you're Roman Catholic? Hey, that's interesting, and it's just the same. 
They're more reviled than Muslims, fundamentalists in America today. When one of them became the President of the United States, it was a shock. John F. Kennedy was a practicing Roman Catholic. Today, the Supreme Court has five of the nine justices who are Roman Catholics. Something that would have been shocked, shocking in an early America, mid-America, early 1900s, today is of no... Hey, that's interesting. Five out of nine. Five out of nine is, is a majority if you do the math. Five divided by nine. That's above 50% calculated. Number three. The third prophecy to await for. Through the two great errors, this is Great Concert, page 588. Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and sundered sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. The former lays a foundation for spiritualism. The latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling the rights of conscience. There will be a union between three entities, spiritualism, Catholicism, and Protestantism. Amen. What is the first prophecy to be fulfilled? Is the domination of the United States of America. What is the second? It is the rise of the Catholic Church. And what is the third? Is the trifold unholy union. Revelation is about opposites. You have a woman who's just decked out and drinking wine and sleeping with every man she could see. And you have a woman who's on top of a uh, moon and she's shining like the sun. You have New Jerusalem and you have New Babylon. You have the Last Supper with Jesus or you're the Last Supper that birds are eating. You have the Trinity and you also have the unholy Trinity. You have the three angels' messages. You also have the three frogs' messages. The three frogs, that's funny, three frogs. Three frogs will come together and they will go through all the kings of the world. Spiritualism today pervades everything. For those of you who are still in the trap of entertainment, there is spiritualism in everything that you see. There is a concerted effort. There is a theological agenda in Fox, Hollywood, uh, ABC, NBC, all these things today. That is not a claim. That is the truth. There are vampires. There are Harry Potter. There are Holly, Holly, Halloween, Virgin Mary, you know, when people die, the white little asterisk that, that floats out of the body and floats around, these are all theological statements that Hollywood is making. When you die, what happens? You're sleeping. No white little steam comes out of your, your chest and floats around and, and lingers on. Spiritualism is everywhere. When this merges with the three, what can happen? We need to watch out for this. And number four is Matthew 24. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then what, friends? Shall the end come? This is a prophecy. Right now, in Adventism, there's more satellite evangelism 
more TV than ever. In America, sends out the most missionaries to the world. You know, England, who was used to be number one in sending missionaries out the world, is now not even top ten, I heard. America, England is dying. There are churches in England, there are cathedrals in England that are closing down. One became a Chinese restaurant. Can you imagine? You go to a cathedral and you get some tofu fried rice. There's a saint looking down at, uh, up, up in heaven and right there. There are cathedrals being changed into bowling alleys. There are cathedrals being changed into strip club friends. South America, South Korea is taking up the lack that the rest of the first world used to have. South Korea, if in a couple years, will exceed America in sending missionaries out to the world. South Koreans, and I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm Korean, but I'm just saying that as a, as a statistical fact, are preparing for the last days in their unique way. They have already pre-planned exactly what to do when the North Korean border falls. They are waiting tippy-toed on the edge of the border and they have exactly uh, all the plans, the protocol, the blueprints. They have the resources, the supplies, they mapped out the territory and they're waiting for the green light. And once that clarion call comes out, all these denominations, Christian denominations, will go out and do exactly what to do to make sure there's no confusion, no overlap, no miscommunication, and to win North Korea for Jesus. Koreans are going into Iraq, Afghanistan, places where Americans are not welcome because of other stigmas. And instead of forcing the individuals to learn English and teach them Bible afterwards, these individuals are learning Arabic themselves. And they're teaching them about Christ. I'm not extolling South Korea. There are other nations that are sending more missionaries by the day. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. By the rate, at this rate, by year 2020, there will be 40 million Adventists in this world. Now before you say, wow, that's awesome, that is still, still too small of a number. That is far from the goal of Matthew 24, verse 14. As Satan's message becomes more prevalent, so must ours. All forms of evangelism must be biblical and must combat all the other ideas out there. Great Controversy, page 612. Servants of God with their faces lightened up and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, signs and wonders will follow believers. Satan also works with lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. Thus, the inhabitants of the earth will be brought to take their stand. The largest mission field that we have today is North America. There are campuses out there full of secular people who have no idea what the three angels' messages is. I was talking with Canadians yesterday. There are 30 million Canadians who are the most secular societies in this world. I know there is the excitement of us going to the third world, and we should. Friends, we need to do foreign missions. But often in North America, it's degenerated into sanctified tourism. We'll go there for a week. We'll go, we'll splurge, we'll see all, oh, hey, is that a hut? Oh, is this is how they live. Hey, let me give them a little piece of bread. And we go home and feel good about themselves. 
the thousand dollars that we spend on the airfare will be probably but, but to better use by the locals and pay so many more pastors and Bible workers. That's not to put down foreign, nation, foreign missions at all. We need to go out there as well, friends. Amen? But we need to have a mind, how does my micro life fit into the macro? In North America, we need North American missionaries. And if you see the trends of the church, the third world is sending missionaries to America. And at this rate, there will be more immigrant Adventists than actual American Adventists. There is the theory, and forgive me for entertaining this theory, each one reach one. Have you heard of this before? It's one of those nice cliché, each one reach one. Uh, I think there's even a song out there, each one. Okay. If each person reaches one person, we can finish the work in this generation, theoretically, according to this theory. Do you want to hear this theory? If one person in one year brings one person to Christ, one in one year, is that too difficult? You have 365 days, and your mission for that 365 days is to bring that one person to Christ. That is your purpose of living, that one person to Christ. And when you win that person, it's not just dunking them to be a Seventh-day Adventist. You make that person into a soul winner also. We need more soul winning baptizees. Yes? Is that a word, baptizee? Just is that a word? Yes. In one year, if you baptize one person, next you have two, then you have four, then you have eight. It's more about quality than quantity. You can have 50 50 baptisms, and if they don't do anything, the potential is lost there. But if you baptize 50, and they're they're also baptizing, you can get into 100, da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, 2 to 4 to 8. And please just listen to this. I'm Asian. I love numbers. 16. 16 baptizes 32. 32 becomes 64. 64 becomes 28, 128 to 256 to 512 to 1024 to 2048 to 4096 to 8192 to 16384 to 32,000. I really love numbers. 32,768 to 65,536 to 131,072 to 262,000 to 524,000 to 1 million to 2 million to 4 million to 8 million to 16 million. Da, 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 da. According to this theory, in 33 years, we can reach the whole world. 33 years. Friends, how old are you? Don't, don't say it out loud. I'm 20-whatever years old. Just imagine, by the time you are 53 years old, the whole world will have heard about Jesus Christ. According to this, it is a potential. It is possible. It is possible. For those of you who are 70 years old, by the time you're 103, and by, in, in biblical standards, when you're 70, you're a young age. The Lord has a big work for you to do when you turn 80. Huge thing to do. So don't think, you know, I'm just going to cruise control and Social Security until Jesus comes. No. You have a work to do, friends. 
And we young people will help you, but we need your wisdom. We need your experience. We want you there along next to us. But young people, by the age of 53, for those who are not married and you're going to have a kid, let's say next year, by the time your children are 33 years old, crazy, 33 years old, Jesus could be here. That's as only if one person starts this. At GYC, we have, what, 4,000 people here that will cut away another 10 years if GYC just starts it off. Just this group here, the kinesthetic potential here, Jesus can be here in 20 years. But the Adventist Church has 15 million people right now. If the Adventist Church embraces this, the whole world can be evangelized in 10 years. 10 years. This is not counting into the, into the equation the Holy Spirit's latter rain coming down. Right? Imagine in one day, 3,000, 4,000, 10 years is too long. I hope this doesn't come out of some kind of idealism. This isn't, I'm not trying to pump you up. This is the macro picture that Scripture has provided. And once the disciples understood this macro picture, they said, I don't care about anything else. I found my purpose in life. I found my answers. God has already an answered a lot of your questions. We just never let that sink deep into our heart, hearts and get it. In light of these prophecies, there is to be no fear. No fear of lunchboxes, no fear of clothes, no fear of girls, no fear of prom, no fear of the United States government. No fear. Open to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I love Joshua. Joshua was a, was a protege of Moses. Moses leaves. Moses dies. Moses is gone. Moses is absent. And, the, and Joshua is in an anxiety attack. He's missing his father figure. Instead, God intervenes and says in verse 5, Are you there? Verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses. Friends, we need the previous generation. We need their experience. We need the Moses out there. So I will be with who? I will not fail you nor forsake you. I know you guys know this first. But verse 6, be strong and of what? Good courage. Unto, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Verse 9, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong 
and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou, be thou, dis, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. When God speaks, it happens. You didn't get it. God spoke existence into being with his voice. In the supernatural mind of God, does he have a brain? Yes. Does he have a brain? No. Explain that to me. No. In the mind of God, he thinks of something. It trickles down to his supernatural lungs. And in his supernatural lungs, feel a supernatural air. And a supernatural comes out and he says, be not afraid. The vocal cords that God has that don't exist but do exist say, do not fear. And the, and, the, and the vibrations come out of his mouth. And the mouth that comes out, in Genesis 1, these, these sound waves themselves became matter and energy. He spoke something out of nothing. So he says, let there be a poinsettia flower. <laughs> Those sound waves became this not this flower, but flowers. When God says, do not be afraid, it is not a recommendation. This is not advice. It's not a fortune cookie. God says, I will create in your heart no fear. Friends, this morning, are you afraid? If I asked you to come up here and preach, would you be afraid? If I asked you to go out into the world, it's not me asking, it's the Lord asking, to go out to the world and preach to the whole world in this generation, would you, are you afraid? Well, I need to get my, you know, I need to get my, my degree and I need to like, you know, uh, pay my house off and da, da, da. These are things all that are important. But how are you justifying intellectually your fear? How smart are you? Smart people aren't really smart. They just cover up their fears and insecurities in a smart way. Oh, you didn't like that. The reason why we are afraid of terrorists is because they have no fear. There's something about someone who has no fear. It's scary. It's almost kind of creepy. Terrorists have no fear of, being, of dying. They say, even if I die, their facial expression has no fear. When death stares at them, they stare death back in its eyes. And that freaks us out. What this world needs is a group of young people who have no fear. The primary objective of military training, I know some of you hate military terminology, but I'm an American. The primary objective of boot camp is to beat fear out of you. They tear you down and they bring you back up and they even make you play video games and brainwash you for millions of hours so that when you go onto the battlefield, there are bullets flying. But you're not afraid. You have your gun with you and you learn how to fight in that kind of atmosphere. My friends, we don't need brainwashing. We don't need some kind of uh, idea that when we go to heaven, there will be 40 perpetual virgins to greet us there. We don't need these empty promises. What do we need? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be converted. Conversion is not a mental ascent 
to 28 doctrines. Conversion isn't just learning more about Jesus. Conversion is the ability to be bold and fearless for Jesus without reservation. That is the greatest need in the world today. Friends, the world is afraid of people who are not afraid. In order to carry out the three angels' messages, to fulfill GYC's mission, we have to say, Lord, I am afraid. But give me the spirit of no fear. Give me the spirit of a sound mind. Give me the spirit of love. Give me these things. Friends, how many of you want a boldness about you? Friends, we're not asking you to be a Mark Finley. We're not asking you to be a Doug Batchelor. We're not asking you to be, please don't be a Justin Kim because that would be freaky. We're asking you to be you, the way God made you. But under the steadfast, controlled principle that only Jesus can provide. We need Amy shepherds who can be Amy shepherds in their own way. Bold as an Amy. The Amy-ness of Amy just protrudes out. We need JB Kagabos who are JBs. They, 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 they sweat JB. They perfume, profuse out JB-ness. We need Stephanie Quicks who are Stephanie's coming out. Reverberating everywhere they go. Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. But the way Jesus made us as individuals. But insecurity sets in, like, I don't want to be me. I want to be like that person. We don't need more David Asterix friends. We don't need more Doug Bachelors. We need you. We need you to reach out people who are like you. My prayer is this week, we're to be bold this morning, whether it's tomorrow for outreach. Let's just say, look, I don't care. I don't look like a, if I look like an idiot, I don't care. Let's just go all the way for Jesus. And by God's grace, in 33 years, 10 years, whatever years, let's see with our eyes. Touch your eyes right now. These eyes, our prayer is to see Jesus' coming, literally in the skies. Amen? Let's pray. Lord in heaven, Father, you spoke through Balaam. You spoke through a donkey. Father, we thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Father, forgive me for my babbling. Forgive me for, for messing around. Forgive GYC for not getting it. But Lord, as you see the hands that have been risen today, and Lord, I know heaven has marked the hands that have been risen. Inject into our characters. Bleed into our hearts a boldness. The boldness of Jesus, the boldness of the apostles, the boldness that Scripture commands us father this is not a recommendation we believe this is not a rule but this is a promise lord so father as we leave this building help us to be help us to be fearless not only today not only tomorrow but until we can see your son face to face we pray this in jesus name This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.